Welcome to Data Stories with Isabel Becker, the podcast that explores the relationship between data and narrative storytelling to understand how data can spark the imaginations in us all and how we can all learn the language of data stories. Today's guest on Data Stories is Paul Windsor, who is the head of retail at Snowflake. In the past 17 years, Paul has led the retail go-to-market industry practice at the leading data warehouse, business intelligence and artificial intelligence global companies, helping retailers apply intelligence to their data. Now at Snowflake, he helps retailers enrich their data with the Snowflake Retail Data Cloud. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. You are very, very welcome here. Tell me a bit about you and um, your role and and how you got into data in the first place. Thank you, Isabel. Yeah, it's great to be here. So, yeah, so I look after our retail industry go-to-market for Snowflake. I work with all of our um, customers and future customers in the way that they apply their data um, intelligently um, through the Snowflake data cloud. John Lewis is fantastic, is a Snowflake customer today. Um, In regards to how I got into this role, um, pretty much got to go back a number of years. I actually started my career in retail. Um, Had the opportunity as a teenager to join Sainsbury's as a trainee manager way back when. And I spent 19 years at Sainsbury's. And the last role that I had at the company was I was actually responsible for the way that Sainsbury's shared data with their 2000 suppliers. And this is going back to about 2005, where in order to ensure that products were available on the shelf in Sainsbury stores, um, we wanted to make sure that suppliers that were supplying those goods actually got the sales and stock data as quickly as possible for them to be able to understand how their products are performing and so that they can make sure that the products are available when Sainsbury's ordered them. So I really got into the data space nearly about 20 years ago uh, when I got involved in the whole data data strategy part that we did with Sainsbury's. And it really piqued my interest around data and what you can do with data in order to kind of really run your business. And what was it like kind of establishing that data-driven strategy at, at that kind of time, you know, talking about, what's the maths, 17 years ago now or something? <laughs> well, at the time, we thought what we were doing was really, quite, well, it actually was. It was it was very innovative at the time. But I look at the technology today, the technology that Snowflake offers as part of its data cloud, and, it, you know, it was quite, it was quite immature. Um, what had to happen was that you had to, um, offload the data from Sainsbury Systems and then you had to duplicate that data and put that data somewhere else in an external platform and then you had to ask suppliers to go and log into the to that system and then they had to download the data typically in Excel sh- spreadsheets or CSV files and that was very labor intensive um, it required lots of management to kind of move and and shift that data 
Um, but it still gave the, the suppliers the data that they needed to kind of help from an operational perspective. But there was a lot of heavy, heavy lifting and a lot of work with that. And technology going back those number of years, that was really the only way that you could do that. What about like culturally, like how did people accept um, using data more in their in their daily lives? What was how how did you drive that kind of adoption in terms of change of ways of working? I think I think for a, um, a number of years now, the culture of using data has 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 pretty much got very mature in terms of the way that that retailers and companies are using data. I think what has been a struggle is is the access to that data, being able to kind of integrate the data so that you're seeing all of your relevant data in one in one architected position so that you can see how your customers are shopping, which products are they buying, what inventory do I have in order to serve the customer. I think there's been a real appetite for data for a number of years. I just think it's been constrained in the past by systems and architecture that means that you spend a lot of time just making sure that the data's in some sort of state to be able to be used. And I think that's changing. I think that's changing now. I think we're now getting much more sophisticated from a technology perspective to, to really drive the insights rather than doing all of the labor-intensive management of the data. So you talked there about um, the kind of labor-intensive tasks of, of managing data in retail. Um, taking you from those days in Sainsbury's and now you're at Slow Flake and um, looking, having a, an overview of how different types of retailers um, are trying to manage their data at the moment. What would you say makes the challenges of data management in retail kind of distinct or significant from kind of other industries that perhaps Snowflake are um, assisting with? Well, I think the challenge with retail is um, from a data um, intensity perspective is because um, it's an industry that's radically changing all the time. If you just look back, you know, we're, we're sitting here today in, in May 2022. You've only got to go back to the start of the year that the industry's already, already radically changed. We have the highest inflation rates we've had for 40 years. We have the lowest consumer confidence since records began in 1974. We have war in Europe. Um, we have energy prices increasing and a diminishing amount of household spend for, for people. And that's the first five months of 2022. On top of that, uh, you've got consumers today using multiple channels to interact, engage, inquire and purchase products as well, using different ways of having those products delivered. If you just take all of that into consideration, it's a hugely complex in industry. And then if you layer over the top of that, the data that's required to understand all of the outcomes of the impacts of the market forces and all of the changes in behavior of how consumers shop with you, it requires a lot of data to be able to kind of really understand your business. And, and if you were to draw a comparison perhaps with, I don't know, 
media companies, what would you say kind of distinguishes what retail what retailers are trying to do with their data in comparison to that type of industry? Well, I mean, with the retail industry, you're you're very much um, really in the front of of the customer in terms of you're trying to serve the customer, you're trying to deliver a service, you're trying to deliver an experience. Um, you're interacting with the customer. It may be digitally, but it could be physically as well. So there's a lot, lot more touch points when it comes to the industry. Um, and again, that requires data to understand how successful that's all being. Um, as I say, I think compared to a lot of other industries like insurance or financial services or media or life sciences, I'm not saying that they're quite static as industries. But, but the retail industry, you know, retailers today have really got to quickly adjust their strategies based on what externally is happening to them and also how their consumers are changing their behaviour. One of the things I haven't even mentioned in the first five months is we're just coming out the back of a pandemic. And that's completely changed the way that customers are now behaving, their attitudes towards what products and services they want to use. I think we've all been educated over the last two years around um, the importance of protecting the climate and sustainability and the importance of making sure you, everybody does um, what they can to think about the products they want to purchase and what's gone into those products and how far have they had to travel. Um, we also, I feel, as consumers are much more aware now from a health perspective in terms of the types of products we want to consume. Um, so, so we've not only got all of the things that I mentioned like inflation and war and etc but we've got, a, we've got an output of a pandemic which has changed society completely. If you imagine what that's done for trying to get our understanding of, of consumers, data is at the heart of starting to understand that. It just feels a bit overwhelming even you listing those th- things that we need to consider because there's so many things that are coming at retailers from so many different um, angles and then also there's this thing of the consumer is now in the driving seat essentially who's kind of um kind of dictating a, a lot of you know what the products what products are being sold and how retailers are kind of um selling them to us yeah it feels a bit overwhelming and actually if there's if there's so much data pouring out of all of those activities and it's all moving at such a fast pace, then I guess you need a kind of a management system that's going to be able to flex and scale as much as those changes are are kind of happening. And um, I know there's a thing called Snowflake, which is quite good at that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier in terms of the maturity of technology these days. I mean, Snowflake is making it incredibly easy for data consumers, people inside retail businesses like John Lewis, that role it is, is to understand the business based on data. So making it easy for those data consumers to access the data. So bringing all of that relevant first party to data together so that um, people inside the John Lewis business that have a, a data background, a data analyst, business analyst, perhaps a data scientist, can actually start to really... Um, in you know kind of consume that data and understand kind of their business from there so the first first and foremost access is absolutely critical Um, secondly um, 
it's about moving very quickly from data to insight. So um, going back to the challenges that's happened before where a lot of intensive labor was required to just get the data managed and in- ingested, etc. cetera, um, moving away from that and just being quick um, and agile with that to bring that data to bear from an access perspective is really important. Um, the second area is um, once you've got your first party data all available for all of your data consumers to access it, Um, What Snowflake does, which is really interesting and critical at this moment in time, given all of the volatility that we've already talked about, is to give the business an understanding of the wider context of what this means in terms of the market. So Snowflake, as part of its data cloud, has what we call a marketplace. And we have something like 260 data providers that offer up their external third-party data for retailers like John Lewis to consume Um, It has about 1,360 data sets as part of that marketplace. So if John Lewis are thinking about making some strategic decisions around the customers or stores that they might be thinking about opening in the future um, or the prices that they're considering to price the products at, um, there's this 1,360 data set sitting in the marketplace that can be used to enrich your first party data as well and some examples of that will be sort of obvious examples of data sets it could be weather data it could be demographic data it could be footfall data understanding you know globally or you know from an regional perspective how many people are still physically going out to shop um, it could be online purchasing sort of behavior data economic data um, it could be sustainability data if you look at the data sets that are sitting in the marketplace today They're all available to enrich your first-party data, bring that data alongside your first-party data, and now really start to understand what I understand about my own business and then the context I'm getting from the third party. I can really now start to make some smart decisions. So what's fantastic about the Snowflake Data Cloud in this example is the fact that you have the enrichment available to you if you wanted to use it. And... I was actually at the Retail Technology Week a few weeks ago, um, and they were talking about the challenges in the retail industry um, at the moment. And one of the main obstacles that was mentioned and a kind of clear solution that was named was that all the retailers kind of have their own data Um, and don't want to share it with each other because they don't want to give each other their secrets. But he posed it as, but what if we all did all share our data with each other? Imagine how we could kind of collaborate um, and kind of address these very um, kind of volatile and fast-moving challenges that we're all facing and I guess kind of moving to a more we're all very individualistic in society at the moment and I and I guess this is kind of it's a bit of a shift to go back to a bit of a collective mindset so how would you respond to that what would you say what what are retailers doing it's a really good question so I think probably the biggest transformation we're going to see in the data space over the next few years is what's now being termed data collaboration So going back to where I started my interest in data, 
So I talked to you earlier about my um, experience within Sainsbury's of being responsible for the way that they shared data with their suppliers. That culture has always been there, but it's been, um, as you say, there's been times where some companies feel like they want to hold some information back so that they, they have an upper hand or they can negotiate a better deal. I think if you just look at how fast-paced retail is today, the high expect expectations of the customers that you referred to, customers now have a lot of the control, um, trying to retain customers, you want to give them the best experience possible. So by being able to share data within your partnership is absolutely fundamental to make that happen. So with Snowflake today, another fantastic capability as part of its data cloud is this ability for someone like John Lewis to be able to directly share data with one of their suppliers. So if one of their suppliers is also a Snowflake customer, then you can open up a strategic direct share. I've got one example of two companies that are doing that today. Um, that's public um, in the marketplace and um, one of them is Albertsons they're the 16th largest retailer in the world they're a grocer operating out of the US um, they sell a lot of Kraft Heinz goods Kraft Heinz is a company that everybody knows uh, over 100 years old and a lot of the goods that are sold in Albertsons stores are Kraft Heinz products so both strategic um, cus uh, partners of each other, and they've both agreed to do a direct share of information. So any sales of Kraft Heinz goods sold within Albertsons stores, right down to the, each individual store on any given day, and, and then how the inventory fluctuates because of those sales, that data that Albertsons hold within their systems today, they've Albertsons have given direct access to Kraft Heinz without moving or copying the data. This is the real fundamental shift in data collaboration, is without moving or copying the data, Kraft Heinz gets to see the same updates of those sales and fluctuations in inventory as Albertsons. So Kraft Heinz see it, sees that data at the same time. What's fantastic about that is it comes back to the volatility of the supply chain, it comes back to the risk of transportation and management and manufacturing, and Kraft Heinz have talked about the fact that this gives them the greatest opportunity to limit the amount of outer stocks, simply because they can react very quickly in near real time to the changes and fluctuations in sales and inventory because there's no latency of the data having to be duplicated and then moved into another system and then having asked somebody to log on to that etc this is as quick as you can possibly give data to another another company outside your business so i think with this type of capability that snowflake has today and the importance of data collaboration to keep the customer happy i think we're going to see this being a, a great huge growth area for the data space in the next few years So we've talked about uh, a little bit about consumers and them kind of so-called being in the driving seat at the moment. And it's very different to um, the kind of retail landscape um, beforehand. I'm interested in something that was another thing that was mentioned at this Retail Tech Week, which was um, the paradox of choice, um, the idea that we have as consumers nowadays, we have so much choice that um, we don't know how to choose and it's also can be a bit overwhelming. 
Um, obviously, for uh, a company like John Lewis, which is also includes Waitrose, um, we've got thousands and thousands of products. Um, and when a customer goes onto um, the website, um, you know, they've they've got so much choice that they can trawl through, which I guess is a bit different to when you're going into a shop and you can, I don't know, from my experience, it doesn't feel as overwhelming going into a shop full of things as when you're on a screen and, and looking at so many items. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to um, get the right product in front of the customer um, through kind of personalization. Um, and technology is helping us to, to do that. But there's this issue about consumers feeling overwhelmed with the choice. Do you think that technology can be used to ease that anxiety? Or do you think we're all just moving towards, we're just moving in that one direction of giving consumers more products, more choice, more flexibility? Or do you, do you envisage technology perhaps being able to to help us in that way well i think i think you'll see today you get a lot of um companies today that um will take the intelligence of your previous shopping behavior and and offer relevance of other products you know you purchased this recently um, you might like this product that's been around for a number of years now um in regards to choice um, yeah, I mean, you look at companies like the Waitrose part and, and other grocers in particular. Um, it's often been talked about about how many how many jars of, of bolognese do you really need to, to offer um, customers, and and that's been a subject that's been around for a number of, of number of years. I think from a choice perspective, I think we're now heading to areas where choice really matters is around as we talked about. We've got an inflation rate sitting at. You know, the high 7% indications are inflation is going to get to double digit over 10% by the end of this year. That is putting high pressure on households and disposable incomes. Um, some households are having to make decisions as to, you know, where they put their discretionary spend, um, how they allocate their disposable income. So I think choice based on price is really important because... Um, households around the country have different um, averages of salaries and incomes. So being able to offer customers choice based on price is really important. Important, And you see you know, companies like Waitrose who have their different types of range, which is fantastic because it gives customers choice around price based on what they have as disposable income. So I think choice really matters when it comes to something really important right now, which is the pressures on customers in terms of their spend. Secondly, I think I've just recently come back from Retail Week Live um, this week in London, and one of the main topics this week was all about sustainability. And I think we're seeing now... Um, in particular, it's always referenced as the Generation Z, the first generation to be truly um, understanding the impact that products have on the planet. And I think having choice around products that have a much more sustainable presence and a sustainable packaging 
and being able to kind of choose to buy products that are around sustainability is really important as well. And I'm seeing a lot of retailers moving in that direction. Um, but again, it comes down to cost. And, and at the moment, there's a, an indication that the more sustainable a product is, it could be more expensive. So, so there's two streams here when it comes to choice. One is let's make sure that we've got lots of choice here based on households income. Let's make sure that we've got choice here for um, people that are looking to actually contribute towards, you know, climate change and sustainability as well. And then choice in terms of being able to kind of personalize that choice based on the intelligence of the data. So, you know, Waitrose with their with their loyalty card, being able to kind of understand shoppers' habits and being able to kind of represent what what those products could look like for a customer based on their previous shopping habits is is also really important. Talking about uh, retail trends, I've seen that um, selling stuff through like live stream is really big in China. It's like huge. Um, do you think that trend's going to become popular in this country as well? I think it's a really, really exciting digital channel. I think live commerce is going to be the next big thing when it comes to consumer shopping digitally. I mean, we've had 20-odd years of customers being able to buy products by clicking and you know, reading customer reviews and understanding what the products um, made up of in terms of the description, etc., and that's been hugely successful and driven a lot of of e-commerce sales for the last twenty odd years. But I think live commerce is going to be, from an engagement perspective, the next big opportunity. And we're seeing a lot of retailers starting it already. But you're right, China have literally led the way on this. Um, we're now seeing the US wake up to the idea of live commerce. There's a number of apps out there right now that are selling items with a live element to it. What I love about it is technology now allows us to do this. So if you want to join and understand John Lewis products, if John Lewis are looking to do this and you want to understand about a product, there could be somebody in a John Lewis store today. Part of their role is to serve the customer physically, but they could also do these live streams where customers join um, and listen to how store associates are selling certain products, telling them all about the features, talking them through the product, what it looks like, and the fantastic opportunity to, opportunity to interact. This idea that you could be sat at home, you could be having a, a dialogue and an engagement, and you can ask questions to store colleagues about a certain product, getting real kind of you know confidence that this is the product that you do want. I think it's fantastic, and I, you know, I can see this being hugely, hugely a growth area. And then um, there's also something that's just recently been talked about, which is um, adding on to this, is we've seen um, retailers um, being able to allow consumers to order goods through online and have them delivered to the doorstep. Well, I think the next other big area is going to be is retailers are going to start to deliver in the home, which means actually arrive with the product, take it into the home, let's say something like a coffee machine, and actually come in and set the coffee machine up for you, take you through the demonstration of how you actually use the coffee machine, etc. So not just deliver it to the front door, but actually 
deliver it in the home and actually set that up as well. And I think we're going to see retailers heading in that direction as well. So eventually we're just going to be all connected, whether it's conversations online, interactions through videos or actually having the goods set up by the retailer in the home. This is this is this is just a fantastic revolution of the industry. Yeah, and it, it feels like when you're describing that, it feels like we're kind of circling back to kind of um, times, I guess, before technology, where maybe if you had ordered or not, where if you've gone to a shop and ordered a table, um, you know, and you're living in a in a maybe not in a city, in a town or something, maybe the expectation would be that they would come into your home and they would help you build it, and that kind of personal touch that since the, this emergence of technology we've kind of lost and it feels like we're kind of coming over this hump of of only like kind of technological communication is what all I need and kind of having been at home through the pandemic and now we're kind of craving personal connection again where it's funny because it's being described as this kind of revolution but it's also perhaps just circling back to how retail was perhaps before what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been many, many years where retailers have just competed on price. Um, Before that, it was uniqueness of the products that they sell. Um, But it's a tough market, and you see a lot of retailers selling similar items at very similar prices. I mean, where's where's the uniqueness? Where's the differentiator when it comes to that? So adding flavor to that by allowing a consumer to interact with you digitally through a live commerce channel so that your store colleagues, your store sellers can bring that product to life and have that interaction without actually necessarily physically going into the store is another way of providing that sort of special John Lewis experience. And then, as you say, rather than just, you know, leaving it at the doorstep, actually adding that extra experience to the product that you've gone out of your way to buy and have it made sure it's kind of the customer is happy and they understand it. And that's another uniqueness that you can add um, in this sort of space as well. So it's all about customer experience. It's all about giving many ways for the for the consumer to interact with the retailer and kind of leaving that competition to just be around, I've got this product and it's at this price. I guess what I mentioned there was how technology is helping us to reconnect with each other um, or how they, sorry, how the advances in the in in the tech industry are leading us in the direction of coming back to each other and connecting and connecting with the retailer and having that person actually come into your home and set the coffee machine up. On the other hand, we've got advances in tech um, with things like cloud technology and automation um, that are kind of doing things that we possibly could not do before. Um, So taking away a lot of the repetition and manual tasks in things in tasks to do with like data loading and analysis and um, things like that. And it's talked a lot about that these advances in technology are taking over those kind of onerous tasks and leaving the humans to have more free time to do more important things. 
but I haven't seen so much a lot of time being spent talked about what those kind of golden hours are for the humans to to do if, if technology is enabling us to move away from that um, repetition and, and boring stuff what Paul what do you think are those kind of golden hours that we can now be doing that technology is enabling us to do I'm really interested to know I'll probably refer back to just literally a couple of days ago at, at Retail Week Live um, there was quite a few presentations on the main stage that talked about companies that were saying we talk way too much about data and not enough about insight and I think what automation can do for retailers is if you can automate those tasks that allow the data to be able to be brought into an environment um, that's ready for consumption around analysis and you remove the heavy tasks and, and manual processes of getting that data ready, then those golden opportunities, those golden tasks, are much more spent on insight. And it's been the real pivot for any retailer today is how much time in my data strategy do I spend preparing, loading the data, preparing the data, governing the data, making sure it's secure, and then an element, a small element of now you've got a chance to, to glean some insight. What you want to do as a retailer or any company is you want to reduce the amount of that duplicated process manual repetition you want to reduce the latency on that as much as possible and allow the rest of the percentage of your working week to be now let's really consume and understand what this what this data is telling us about our business so automation whether it's automation to ingest data whether it's automation to perhaps build dashboards whether it's automation to build modeling um, any of that automation that works and works at scale will just give data consumers, data analysts, data scientists more time to actually glean outcomes, insights from the data that they've got. And that's when it gets really exciting. And those retailers that do that really, really well have got that added competitive advantage where they're getting more insights out of their data than other companies. So do you have any interesting examples of, of that, Paul? Well, one example I can give you, again, it's, it's public. So, you know, I'm talking about a, a Snowflake customer today. They're actually the largest convenience store retailer out of Poland. Um, their company name is Zabka. I think they have something like 8,000 convenience stores in Poland today. Now, they've been able to quickly pivot all of their data resources to much greater insight. And so the things that they're using... Um, their data for today inside the Snowflake Data Cloud is they are optimizing the price of the products that they sell within their stores. Again, given, given the fact that inflation is fluctuating costs with actually producing and being able to ship those products, they're using Snowflake today to optimize the, the price of those products. Um, Given the fact that we've just come out the back of a two-year pandemic and people's shopping habits have changed, they use the data inside the Snowflake Data Cloud to identify what's the right assortment to sell in each of their localised stores. They do it right down to a localised level. So demographically, 
There may be different shoppers in one part of, of Poland to another that shop differently and they, they, they adjust their assortment based on the intelligence of the data that they're able to analyze. And then because they've got an ambition to open up another thousand convenience stores in the next 12 months, they're actually using the third party data that I referred to in Snowflake's marketplace to enrich their first party data around economic and demographic and footfall data to determine where they can open up a new store that will give them a profit return and allow new shoppers to come and shop at Zabka. So that's really good, really good intelligence of using their data to understand assortment, price and where to open up new stores. That's driving a lot of their use of data, not the management, not the processes. They've been able to move into Insight very, very, very successfully. I mean, that sounds pretty good. I mean, what retailer wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> um, I'm not even on the Snowflake sales team. <laughs> um, so I'm going to turn to the customer now specifically and the customer story, which is... Um, is the idea of this podcast. Um, I'm curious about how we profile humans in data and how businesses kind of construct, how businesses choose to construct the profile of a customer through their data because it, it determines a lot of how they perceive the people that they're serving. There's also an issue of data privacy and um, the kind of careful line between, uh, you know, maximizing the amount of insight that we can get from our customer data, but also respecting the kind of fundamental human rights of someone's privacy. Um, given that and your your kind of experience at a company like Snowflake. Do you think that customers can be in control of their data story? It's a, it's a, it's a big question. I mean, first and foremost, you're absolutely right. I think um, policy around customer privacy um, has really tightened over the last number of years, quite rightly so. Um, with our all of our digital footprints and loyalty cards that are out there today, we're giving up a lot of information as consumers. So we do that with trust that retailers are going to use that, that data in the right way, um, agreeable by us as consumers. Um, so I would say that policy around customer privacy and personal identifiable information, um, it's a huge hot topic for retailers. They want to make sure that they're customer data is very governed and very secure. Um, Snowflake's governance and security capability is some of the market leading capability and we help a number of retailers today to make sure that that data is incredibly secure. But that's what the consumer expects. They don't expect any leaks. They expect that, that data to be um, protected if they're going to share their data with retailers. I think then what they're looking for is is some intelligence behind now I've given you that data what what is it that you can you can offer me as an experience 
Paul, thank you so much for your time. This has been really insightful. Um, I've just got one more question before we go. We've, we've talked a lot about um, data and the challenges of, of data consumption in retail specifically. What do you think about data literacy? Do you think that retailers are ready to consume this data? Are we going to be data literate enough or data fluent enough, as some people call it, to run with the pace of change of the climate and how the retail industry is evolving? What do you think? Well, it's a great last question. Uh, something I'm really passionate about. Um, let me let me give you let me give you an idea of where where we're at with this. Um, Two hundred years ago, many 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 years ago, only twelve percent of the population on this planet could read. Now, obviously, those numbers have significantly increased over the last 200 years. But you only have to go back 200 years and only 12% of the population could read. Now, turn that into the fact that data now, the data economy, the fact that we are all collecting and working with data every single day. Perhaps sometimes we don't even think about it in terms of our lives the data literacy side becomes just as important because the planet is moving towards being very much driven by data and it begs the question how data literate we all are, how data literate a retailer is. And when we talk about data literacy, we really are talking about retailers having people inside the business that have the ability to read data and be able to do something with it to be able to analyze data so that they can actually determine a next decision, work with data to really start building some predictions and also debate with data, being able to have a conversation where an outcome from that discussion is about the data that you're both looking at. And I think it's a really, really important strategic focus for any retailer. Data literacy has to sit alongside a data strategy and the ability to drive data within your business. You have to have data literacy and a strategy around that that goes alongside it. Or else we're going to have fantastic data, great systems, and very little people that can actually be literate enough to do something with it. We need, we need to broaden out um, you know, data literacy from data science and data engineering and data analysts and not just to the, to the C-suite, but also people who are in marketing or supply or buying. And um, Yeah, I mean, just, just an example of that is, is operational colleagues, people that are operationally within a retail role. They're having to also use data to make decisions to keep the operation or the supply chain running or serving the customer they also need to be just as literate with data in order to do their jobs so yeah yeah nice well thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it um i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a bit of a spanner in the works here and ask um as we end do you have any questions for me I'm giving you a special privilege because I haven't asked any of my other guests this. <laughs> well, I feel very honoured. I guess, I guess my only question for you is, is that, you know, you're fantastically running these podcasts and, and the topics typically is about data. So my question to you is, can you see yourself having a career in data yourself um, as you go forward? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I'm definitely interested in this data content space. Um, you know, we're talking about data literacy and data culture and um, something that we're doing at John Lewis is rolling out Tableau and um, the ambition is not just to roll that out um, across our kind of headquarters, our offices, our office, but also in all of our branches. So branch managers can, you know, see the data, act on it and, and kind of entrench that data culture across the organization, across all of our stores, which is amazing. Um, but from my perspective, I think that there's only so much you can get from looking at a dashboard if you've never had an interest in data before or you've never really come across it. Um, whereas I think that as humans, we're drawn to stories and we're drawn to people. And that sparks the imagination and the engagement of anyone. And if we want to actually engage lots of different types of people from different types of backgrounds in data and what it can mean and the power that it can have. I think taking an alternative approach by kind of luring them in with a voice and a, um, a jingle and a conversation um, is quite interesting and I think necessary if we really want to kind of achieve this idea of spreading data literacy, you know, really widespread across a business. So I'm all about people and stories and I'm seeing the intersection between that and data and that's, that's what I'm spreading with this. That's me and that's what I'm interested in. Any other questions? <laughs> Now, I think you've ended the podcast really well. Storytelling is going to be absolutely key to anybody getting interested and excited about data. So, yeah, what a great, great, great way to end. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Data Stories. If you enjoyed it, please give it a like, subscribe to the channel and share it around with people who you think might like it too. Thank you.